Well, good morning to Providence. It is good to see you. I hope you are doing well today. Uh, my name is Dave. I have the joy of being one of the pastors here and uh, excited about what God is doing. Uh, what an incredible way to start our time, just seeing folks uh, commissioned to the nations and, and also sent out to revitalize churches. Let me say this quick word, um, just so there's some, some more categories to be thinking through. Um, it's amazing, the city that we live in, um, many rank uh, this area as one of the top in the um, world to live in. Um, it's come in number two and three behind a city in Australia and the Netherlands uh, for the quality of life, always ranks in the top uh, for commerce, business, raising a family. Uh, it's just incredible. Um, when you see this many people on the stage, let me just say this. Um, that's an incredible sign of a healthy church uh, that can send people uh, for the sake of the gospel. Um, and Raleigh right now is 10% churched. And studies show that in 10 years, it'll be 3% churched. So we're gonna send some more of you and ask God to raise up. Because here's the deal, right? Right now, we know of some 50 plus churches that are dying in our city. Um, and, and what we're, we're gonna pray, that God would allow those to be revived, new ones to be planted, and that the gospel would go forth in great power. And we know that the scriptures teach that the light that shines the brightest at home shines the farthest away. Because we wanna reach people here so we can reach people there and get this gospel to all people as fast as possible. And I believe, as Matthew 24 says, the end's gonna come. She'll fold up, it'll wrap up, and the king returns. And so may it be so. Well, we start a new series. So if you have your Bibles, uh, just to, if you're a guest, welcome to you. If you don't have a Bible, there's some underneath the chair. Grab one, First Thessalonians. So First Thessalonians. We're gonna dive into this passage today and walk through it. Um, but I wanna set a little bit of context. So you get to First uh, Thessalonians and hold your place there. Uh, let me just set us up just a, a little bit. We're, we're in a culture where it's um, quite chaotic. Um, and as followers of Jesus, as people, citizens of his kingdom, we have an extraordinary opportunity to reflect the good and the glory of Christ into darkness. Much like, much like the, the, the moon has no light of itself, but it reflects the light of the sun to the point that it impacts and influences the very, the very tides of the oceans. And as the tides rise in our culture with darkness, with no sight of boats with hope on the horizon, may the church rise, may the God's people rise and be that voice of hope that's only found in the gospel. When I say the gospel, what I mean is the good news of God, the good news of what Christ has accomplished and I want you to think of it like this. The gospel is the good news about what has happened, what God has already done in Christ. Christ came to this 
earth as a man, walked, lived a perfect life, was completely without sin, was crucified on a cross where he absorbed God's wrath upon himself, drinking the last drop, every single drop of it, was buried in a tomb and then rose from the dead three days later, sent his spirit to come to live inside of us and birth the church and church planting. And the spread of the gospel gave a commission to those who would be his followers. This is what Christ has done. The gospel is what God has done in Christ. The gospel is also what he will do in the future. He has promised. He has promised that Christ will return. He will come back. He will set up a kingdom of peace and justice and perfection where there's no sin. He will come. So the gospel is what God has done in Christ. The gospel is what he will do. But the gospel also... Is, is what he is doing among his people as they look and live on his behalf. The gospel is also this sort of incredible fuel for us to live in between those two. So you think about it, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It's come because the kingdom, the, the king has come, um, but it's not fully arrived. And so it's, it's, it's not Yet, it's, it's already, but it's not yet. And, and, and so we're in this tension point of between what he has done, what he will do, and we're living in this moment. And Christ has formed a church called the Thessalonians. And in this letter, it describes what a people of the kingdom look like as they, as they work their faith out and as, and as they wait for the return of the king. And so this, this book is remarkable that we have it. And so I want to pray before we dive in. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are gracious and good and kind in all of your ways. And pray that you would help us get our head and heart around you first and foremost and what you are doing in your word and in your world. God, we acknowledge the Psalm 50 says that the world and the fullness of it is yours. If you were hungry, you wouldn't ask us because you own it all. So we yield to you and ask that you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's, here's what we're going to do, okay? So, so we're not going to, I want to give some context about the book and how it came about. And so th this isn't the nice little walk through the airport with a Starbucks coffee and kind of wait for the plane. We're in the plane, we're, we're, we've taxied, and, and I'm getting ready to, we're getting ready to get, so seatbelt, get your seatbelt on. So here, here we go, okay? We're going to start in Acts 16. Acts 16, I want to just let you know, you stay in First Thessalonians. I'm going to put these on the, on the page here and on the, on the screen here, and we're just going to walk through because I want you to feel the gravity of this letter and how we received it before we walk through it. So in Acts 16, 12, Acts 16, 12 tells us that Paul, he's on his second missionary journey. He is traveling, and he goes from city to city to preach the gospel, to work, to engage with folks, and from there to Philippi he goes. So he's, he's actually, uh, God gives a vision to go to Macedonia. Macedonia is a northern part of Greece. It's a, it's a province, a Roman province, and, and, and it's the capital of that province is Thessalonica. 
But on the way to Thessalonica, before he gets down to Athens, I'll show you a map in a second, he goes to Philippi. And as he goes there, um, he, he, the next verse, Acts 16, 23, says that um, they were inflicted with many uh, pains. Um, they, they were arrested, basically thrown into prison and, and ordered for the jailer to keep them safe. Now, this is something we'll see constantly from Paul as he goes on these missionary trips. He preaches the gospel, gets beat up, arrested, kicked out. Anybody want to sign up for a mission trip, right? It's, it's incredible. Only a few times does it happen when you go with Pastor Phil. Not, not every time. And, 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 and so here, here's, here's, here's what happened. He's just going. So he's kicked out. And then he comes in Acts 17, 1 through 3. It tells us that they came to Thessalonica from Philippi, where he goes, where he always went. Started with Jews in the synagogue and then also went to the Gentiles. And as he's reasoning with them from the scripture, he's explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. The text goes on to say they were, they, they were turning the world upside down. They were saying that there was another king. Caesar was not the king. There was another king. When you come back from the dead, you are the king. And this is what they were preaching. They were preaching this good news of this incredible gospel of grace of Christ and how he died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead. And so, let me show you this map so you can kind of get some of the geographical um, pictures of it. So, so they're, they're in this area. This is Asia. Uh, the, Israel, Jerusalem's down here. They're coming across Ephesus. They're doing mission trips. Coming up here, he's thinking he's going to go this way. And God in a vision said, no, there's people in Macedonia over in Europe. I want you to get the gospel. We're recipients of what took place on that mission trip, which is remarkable. So he goes to Philippi. Jesus kicked out. Jail. <laughs> Hello. Um, goes to Thessalonica, Jesus, preach, boom, kicks out. Goes to Berea, down here. He's down at Berea, preaching again, and they're so mad at him up here because they believe, some people believe, he plants a church in Thessalonica. They get so frustrated with him, they come find him at Berea and go after him again. So he goes down to Athens, makes his way down to Athens. He's preaching. He walks into the city, provoked by all the idols, starts preaching Jesus again. I'm going to go back to the map real quick. Thank you. It's amazing how, <laughs> how that happened. Oh, thank you. So, so he's in Athens, right? He's going to end up in Corinth. But when he's in Athens, he's got such a heart for the people in Thessalonica that um, he sends Timothy back. Now, there's no Uber, and Southwest doesn't have an airline, okay? So, so he's walking. So, so this is what Phil does on his mission trips, right? Goes to the city, then he sends you somewhere. Just sends you back. Go check on him. Go check. That's what he did. He sent Timothy to check on the church because he loved them. He saw evidences of grace as they had repented and believed. And so he sends to get a word. Well, he goes over to Corinth, and while he's in Corinth, stays a year and a half, he writes Thessalonians based on Timothy coming back to Corinth and giving a report. You won't believe what God's doing in the city of Thessalonica. This is how we get our letter. He writes it back. And it's interesting, right? In 1 Thessalonians 3, we, we learned that he, they, he, they were willing to be left behind in Athens. And so we sent Timothy to establish and exhort you. This young church plant that has just been established weeks before, months before. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3, 6, he says, Timothy has come to us and brought us Good news 
of your faith. This is how the letter's written. And it's interesting because most of the books that Paul writes in the New Testament, he writes in some sense to correct a certain pattern or behavior or belief. But in Thessalonians, in Thessalonians, he writes to commend them, not correct them. He just commends them. He sees their faith. He sees their love. It's, it's a remarkable book of affirmation of what he sees. And listen, when your pastors read Thessalonians, we think of providence. When we read this letter, We think about you, your faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. And so, let's read this amazing word as these people were living as a people of the kingdom. Verse 1. Verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word, and this is what we're going to learn this morning as the people of the kingdom, listen, who have encountered the gospel, they grow. They grow in grace. They grow in gratitude, and they grow in godliness. Let me show you three effects of the gospel as seen in this church and upon this church. The gospel provides grace. The gospel First point this morning, the gospel provides grace that saves and strengthens. Thessalonica is this capital city in Macedonia, this port city. It's, it, it's dark, and Paul comes, and there's no power within this city to change. It comes from outside the city, outside of us, namely God, and it landed. Could you imagine reading this letter just maybe some short time, a year or so after the church being planted and Paul preaching the gospel of grace, the grace, this unmerited favor, this, this free gift of God that God has lavished upon you that makes available to you nothing that you could do, nothing on the planet that you could do to merit God's favor. He just gives grace. He gives his son for us because of his love for us. And it's grace. It's receiving a gift that you did not deserve. And, and just imagine that they realized and they had heard this gospel preached by Paul, and then he says to them in verse 1, his first greeting is grace to you. Grace to you. It's, it's probably landing on their hearts like Mount Zion would land if it fell into a kid's pool. It, it just landed. It's, it's reminding them of how they came to faith, but it's also stirring them how to continue to live in faith. Paul knew that the grace in the gospel saves Sinners at a point in time, and it's the same grace that we need to strengthen those he's already saved. Rules 
that are rigid cause hearts to rebel, but a relationship with God flooded with grace causes hearts to grow in a direction of obedience, not for the sake to be loved, but because you are already loved. This is what the gospel, listen, the gospel of grace had gripped them and it was growing. Notice in verse five, it's, it's the power. We'll unpack it a few weeks away, but it's the power. It came, this gospel came with power. It, it changes you. This is not a band-aid. This is not a, a message that makes bad people good. It's a message that makes dead people alive. And this gospel has come to them and it's in power, verse five says, so much so that verse nine says, watch what verse nine says, that this power, it's, it's beginning to show evidence that they themselves, right, the, the, the report that came back to them, how they're turning from, to God and from idols. They're turning to God and from idols. And they're serving the living and true God. And they're waiting, they're turning, and they're waiting for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. They knew, they knew that as they lived on this day, that that day was coming. And they knew that because of the gospel, that this day, this wrath to come would not touch them, not one drop, because Christ had drank every bit of it on the cross of Christ. And so they were turning, they were waiting for the Son. And they had been saved from the penalty of sin, and they were being saved from the power of sin. Grace was growing, grace that we sing about, grace that John Newton in the 1700s, as a former slave trader, encountered, then leaving that horrific, wretched trade, being a voice along with Wilbur, William Wilberforce to, be, to abolish slavery in Europe and England. And in the last days, he said, listen, this is one thing I know, that I'm a great sinner and God is a great savior. And he would pen these words of that hymn, being rescued by God's grace. He would pen amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Has, has grace gripped your heart? Has it landed on you? For salvation or for strength. Listen, the second truth this morning quickly is the gospel propels gratitude that's constant. The gospel propels gratitude that's constant. Notice in verse two of the text, it says, we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Now listen, when Paul writes his letters, he doesn't have Microsoft. He doesn't have Word on his computer, right? He's, he doesn't cut and paste these, these, these words of things. It's from the heart. And if, if grace is what captured his heart, the plants that grew in his heart, one of the tallest was gratitude. He would write in Colossians 1 as he wrote that letter to the church at Colossae, we always thank God for you. In Philippians 1, as he would write a letter to the church at Philippi that he helped establish, he would write, we thank God for you. We, and every remembrance of you, we thank God for you for your partnership in the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, right? First, I mean, think about 1 Corinthians. It's a letter. It's, it's, it's a letter of a church in Corinth, and Corinth was just messed up. I mean, this is, these are Christians gone wild. It's insane what's happening. 
in the book. And yet he starts the letter off. He starts the letter off. I, I give thanks for the grace of God that I do see in you. And then addresses multiple things. All that gratitude, all that gratitude could be the evidence, be evident in us as we follow him. A gratitude journal. This is what I'm doing now. It, it, it's, it's, as, as I think about what gratitude in the gospel is sort of the insulation of the heart that surrounds it. So when hard days come or you are hooked, that, that instead of grumbling, thankfulness comes out. Anything outside of hell is grace. And think about, about what, what I'm trying to do now with young couples that I do premarital counseling with. I, I, I give them a journal, like first, first day, second session or so. I give them a journal, like, what do you want to do? I say, I want you, it's the gratitude journal. I want you to fill it up every day with something you're thankful for. And in the first year, share it with each other. So friends of mine in the Middle East lived in hard conditions. They started this years and years ago. And they said it was a family of four. They said, man, the first time we got around, they, they share their journals every year between Christmas and New Year's. And he said, man, the first time we shared our gratitude journals took like 30 minutes to get through it. And after about 10 years of doing it, it took 10 hours to get through their journals. Cultivating gratitude for God and his gospel. Paul had it as the author of this letter. And we'll see this even in this letter with them. Listen, First Thessalonians says it like this. Chapter five, he says to pray without ceasing, to rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will in for you in Christ. For this, listen, think about this. Give thanks in all circumstances. When, when people are trying to figure out God's will, and we like to help people give them some biblical categories and principles to navigate those decisions. Who do I marry? Where do I work? When do I leave? What kind of job? Uh, I wish you, we could open it up and just be like, marry this person at this time, live in this city, work this job, right? That's not how it works, right? But there are some things there are some things that he has specifically said, this is my will. So let's at least start there. Let's be a people that at least start there. And what does he say? He says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Pray, rejoice, and give thanks. It, it, there's, a, there's a few more things to add to it. But let's start at least there. Give thanks in all circumstances. The gospel, it does, it propels gratitude, it provides grace, but thirdly, last, will land this plane, is that the gospel produces godliness that grows faith, love, and hope. Notice in verse two, how this gospel has produced godliness that shows itself up in faith, love, and hope. Notice in verse two, as he's given thanks, he goes to verse three, he says, remembering, but what are they remembering? Before our God and Father, your work of faith, your work of faith. In other words, there was evidence of faith that was not simply in words they said or the church they went to, it was in how they lived their life. They were living in light of Jesus' return. It was a faith that was working itself out. Their faith had feet, and it was a salvation that worked not a salvation by works. Ephesians 2 helps us with this. Ephesians 2, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, for by grace, 
You have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. Not, not your own doing, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we do good works because of the great work he's already done. We don't do good works in order to merit favor with God. We do the good works because we've already been loved by God. And he's created us and prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. And these good works, oh, there's a, a variety of these good works. But the greatest of all of these works is to open our mouth and share the hope we have in Christ. To have our feet move and our mouth move, to open and to say, to extend ourselves, to extend ourselves to the point of discomfort that we would want to bless people in hopes to reach them with the gospel. This past week, no, few, few, last week, I was FaceTiming one of our church partnerships over in the Czech Republic. And there's a brother in their church I was talking with. He's a banker in the city of Prague. And as he is in that city, um, he's one of the first. He and his family are some of the first that have come to faith in the church plant partnership that we have there in Prague, just south of Prague, in Czech. And the church planter has just been investing in him and discipling him. And by God's grace, they just ordained him a few weeks back as the first elder in the church. And he's helping to do some teaching. And he's just, I, I called him, I FaceTime him when he pops up on the faith. It's daytime here, nighttime there. Uh, he and his wife are out and he's crying and he's, he's overwhelmed. But yet his face is radiant. He's, I'm like, bro, what's going on? And he's like, you won't believe what happened. I can't believe you called today. You won't believe what happened today. I'm like, what happened today? And he says, man, I'm, 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 I'm trying to pray with every business transaction that I do now. And just I, just, I have an ambition with my life to make Jesus known to everybody. And today I was given a, a ride to one of my friends, grandmother, older lady, and I should share with her the hope of Jesus. And bro, you won't believe it. I'm like, what? And he says, she believed. He said, it's the first person I've ever led to Christ. I had no idea that it would happen. And it happened. I want, to see, I want to see more of that happening. And he says, I'm just rejoicing. I'm overwhelmed at the kindness of God, of what he is doing. Oh, your work of faith. Are you working your faith out in those ways? Your labor of love. Notice second, what he remembers. He says, your labor of love. Now, this is not, this is not uh, some, some goose bump sappy love that, that stops by and grabs a loaf of bread and drops it off and go, man, it was a labor of love. That's not what he's talking about. The word labor here means, it means that this, this exhaustive, this, this idea of sweat and fatigue to the point of weariness. It's the labor of love that sacrifices it observes needs and rises to the occasion and works. It's a, it's a love that teaches kids in a ministry at a church year after year after year. And as they do it, gratitude rises rather than grumbling. It's a love that leads life groups for multiple years, shepherding folks, instructing them, caring for them. It's a love that serves widows that are aging. It's a love in retirement years of serving those in nursing homes. It's a labor of love that parks cars every week in hot 
weather, rainy weather, holds doors and serves in hospitality. It's a love that in two weeks comes on a weekend to pack 50,000 meals to send to the Ukraine and help feed a country that's being ripped apart. It's a love that's compelled by the love of Christ who sweated blood in a garden and was at the point of weariness and yet surrendered his will to the Father for the good of others, our salvation. In Providence, we see, we see this labor of love, not only in the Thessalonian church, but we see it in you. God is working this in you. It's remarkable grace. And then last, the gospel produces this godliness that grows faith and love, but hope. Your steadfastness of hope. Paul has heard from Timothy. He's writing to affirm that we've heard, we've heard. We saw a little bit of it and we got kicked out, but we've heard of your, one translation says it like this, endurance inspired by hope. Steadfastness of hope. Endurance inspired by by hope, hope that hangs on in Jesus, anticipating the coming of Christ, knowing that he's already come as the tides of unbelief and immorality seemingly arising in the church of Thessalonians, in our culture. It's a biblical hope. Biblical hope has an anchor of certainty because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we live waiting with hope. Because of what God has done, we know he will do. It's a hope that grows. It, it's, it's, not like, it's not like Friday night. So Friday night, I hear the Canes are playing. I turn it on. I'm not a big hockey fan. Can't skate. Fall down if I put those shoes on. But I'm watching some of it. I'm anticipating some of it. I feel like I want to get a towel and start just swinging it, right? And, and I, I'm starting to watch, and I'm hoping they win. And as I'm watching the first quarter, I feel all of this anxiety rising because as the puck is hit, my body moves with the puck and it moves back. And, and then like as, as the goalie's trying to block, I'm, I'm feeling my, my body shaking and trying to help him block something, which by the way, isn't Nothing to do with how they perform, what you want them to do. And I'm, and I'm watching, the, he, he does these split things like, how in the world do you even do that? And, and, and so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just overwhelmed with anxiety. My body, I'm, 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 in, I'm not at the game. I'm at the living room. I'm in my living room watching this. And so I can't take this anymore, so I turn it off. Big fan, big fan, <laughs> right? So I turn it off. And so about two, three hours later, I checked the score. 2-0. A little towel. Right. right. And then I watched the highlights. And as I'm watching the highlights, there's no anxiety. You know why? Because I already know who won. There's no tension. I'm watching the highlights. I'm like, man, how do, oh, they, they, they won. <laughs> how, is he going to make that? Ah, no, they didn't score. And all of the angst, gone. When you live as a people of the kingdom and you know how it ends, 
It prepares you to live for him. Hard days, get a puck hit upside your head, get hit with a stick, put some pads on. But you know the end. Relieves the, ten, the tension that we all live in. And yet hope, biblical hope, rises. And you can endure. And you can look to the one, right? He, he, here is amazing text in Hebrews 12. We'll close. It says, for the joy set before him, right? Looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He, Jesus, right? He endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so consider him. He endured. Now watch this. Looking to Jesus, he's telling us to look to Jesus, the founder, perfecter, author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. For the joy set before him. What is that joy that was set before him? You know what that joy was? He, the joy that was set before him was a church plant in Thessalonica. It, it, was a, it was a congregation that would love his grace and sing and worship and pray for the joy set before him. It's, the, it's a congregation called Providence. It's a, it's a church plant in the Czech Republic. It's a church, it's a house church in northern Iraq. For the joy set before him. That's the joy that he was looking. He endured the cross, despised the same. And so when, when you feel hope is gone or you feel hope is is. is barely there, and you want it to rise, listen, here's what you do. You consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. I promise you, you will never, your, your worst day will never come close to being hung on a cross and drinking and absorbing the wrath of God. It will never get that bad. And, and he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You want to protect yourself against growing weary in a faint heart when the tides of the culture, they're rising. Look, you stay close to that cross. You stay close. This is what Paul would write. He doesn't boast in the resurrection. He boasts in the cross. He says, I make my boast in the cross of Christ because it was at the cross that Christ absorbed all of the wrath that they write in, Paul writes in verse 10, that they're going to escape and that you're going to escape if you're in Christ. Consider him. And what happens is Peter then writes, he says, listen, because he has, because of his mercy, because of his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a, not just a hope, to a living hope. Biblical hope is alive and biblical hope grows. And the way you feed it and cultivate it is you stay close to a hill called Calvary where he displayed his love for you. And you don't just, you don't just, you just camp out there and stay there day in, day out, reminding yourself of his amazing grace that he has shown us. And so a way of application, a few things. Let's trust Christ. Let's trust him for salvation and strength. If you've never trusted him, you've never put your faith in him, please do so today. Let us know. You can admit, you can call out to him in your heart even now. It's out, I, I trust Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for, for power to fight against sin, to grow in these things. 
I cultivate, you want to cultivate gratitude? Let's cultivate gratitude as a people. It doesn't come natural. Our tendency is to grumble rather than give thanks. And let's put feet to our faith, labor in our love, and heart in our hope as a people. Father in heaven, we love you. We pray now as we look to this this book, God, that is remarkable in how it's written, that you would allow us to be a people who are marked by these things, that we would never get over grace, that we, so that you've lavished it upon us, that grace upon grace upon grace, God, you show us daily. And so would, would you grip our hearts and our minds with this incredible, amazing grace, and that, God, you would stir our affections to be a people who would labor in love and who would endure in hope and who would work out our faith in practical ways, not for glory, but for your glory, God, we pray. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.